The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the queen of crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I'm Catherine Broback. And I'm Kemper Donovan. And this week, Kemper is super excited because it's two weeks in a row that we will have been doing his beloved Miss Marple. Two of the best weeks of my life. I'm happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm marpling. I'm marpling. Now marpling has become a, it's kind of like smurfing. You can just use it however you want. I think that that's accurate and I do appreciate that. And I do (laughs) think that I actually sent the email that called it marpling. (laughs) You did. So, so I'm, I'm happy to contribute to your joy. Um, as longtime listeners know, I have more complex feelings about Miss Marvel. So. Perhaps we'll explore some of those feelings in today's episode about... The Companion. The Companion. So our story this week is The Companion, and it was first published in the Storyteller magazine in February of 1930 under a different title, which I'm going to be honest... Kind of gives the story away. Yeah, the so, resurrection of Amy Durant. Yeah. That's not great. So, not great. And The Companion is ominous. Yeah, I think The Companion is a great title. Yeah. It could be a sexy thriller. Like, Ooh. <laughs> But do you know what I mean? Like it could it could either be a thriller starring Beyonce or it could be a drama starring like Julie Christie. I like all of these options more than I think I like this story. <laughs> well, let's talk about this story. Let's let's talk about our victim. Our victim is, not surprisingly given that original title, Amy Durant, who is a companion to one Miss Mary Barton, a wealthy English lady. These two ladies are on holiday abroad. They're kind of on holiday. They're basically, they're wintering in the Canary Islands. Right, right. That's true. It's I guess it's it's long. It's a bit longer than holidaying would suggest, isn't it? Yes. Um, so poor Amy Durant. She struggles when swimming, while Miss Barton tries to save her. And eventually, they're saved by a local fisherman who pulls them out of the drink. But it's too late for Amy. She dead. Totally deceased. And so our only suspect is Miss Mary Barton, her employer, who's the only person with her when she's drowning. Although I suppose you could argue that the cruel, cruel sea is the other suspect. Mm-hmm. It gives, but it also takes back everything it gives. It does. Let's see. It does do that. You know, Poseidon could be a suspect. He just he wa- he wanted another mortal, and he just took it. So let's talk about the world as it appears to be. We are back, of course, and our second version of the Tuesday Night Club, take two, Tuesday Night Club, mm-hmm. uh, we're at that dinner table of the Bantries, Colonel Arthur Bantry, his wife Dolly, but we do have Miss Marple, of course, and we have Sir Henry Clithering, late of Scotland Yard, and then once again, Jane Hellier, famous stage actress, who we begin to learn in this story is quite dumb. 
Huge dum-dum. Huge dum-dum. And Dr. Lloyd, who is a middle-aged doctor. And who Jane um, kind of has a thing for. I, you know, I, this is a theory of yours, Catherine. I think you're just maligning poor Miss Jane Marple. <laughs> she does not have a thing for not men. Not Jane Marple, stage actress Jane. We do have two Janes. Oh, in Jane this story. Hellier has yeah. a thing. Oh, I don't even think she really has a thing for him. I think she's just and and you know we talked about the lady on lady misogyny that was going oh, on. Oh, and we have it again this week. Yeah, and it feels a little bit like just the depiction of Jane Hellier. It's harsh because she just she's vapid, she's idiotic, and she also seems to be the kind of woman who just enjoys attention and from men and requires it. Like that's kind of all right. she lives for. She's not depicted in a great light. And and honestly, that's all tangential to the story. I mean, that has nothing to do with the mystery. She's not telling the story. But she um, does feature pretty prominently in this one. Yeah. And yeah. obviously this was written before Marilyn Monroe was a thing, but I was picturing like a really bad Marilyn Monroe impersonation. Like Jean, like, Jean Harlow? Was Jean yeah. Harlow around in 1930? Yeah. Breathy. Kissing up to Dr. Lloyd. Boo, boo, be doo. Yeah, just like that. Basically, we're also picking up right after the exciting events of the Blue Geranium. Chains are really into this now, and she's so, like, yeah, she's like, she's like, let's do another spooky story. You know who she kind of is? Do you remember the Kristen Wiig skit where she played a sort of vapid sex pot? Oh look, hot caramel for apples! <laughs> Isn't it funny how some people say caramel and other people say caramel, but nobody says caramel. Anywho. <laughs> Anywho, Jane is uh, in the mood for more murder. And since she's already kind of flirting with Dr. Lloyd, she essentially browbeats him into coming up with a spooky story. And he has a very difficult time because he seems like a completely uninteresting man. So it takes him a little while, but he then does remember a mystery. Does he ever? Dr. Lloyd begins to spin a yarn. About how many years back, due to some health issues, he had to leave England and spend a few years in the Canary Islands. It is very curious. (laughs) Yeah, why did he have to leave England? It seems like there was a deeper story there that, like, maybe he really should have told. Yeah, it seems like he's hiding something nefarious that perhaps happened in England or he was on the run. Um, It really does seem like that. Yeah. yeah. We have no explanation as to, other than the fact that he had been to the Canary Islands in the past on his other various runs to South Africa. It's also odd for a doctor to vaguely allude to health issues as this, <laughs> you know, underlying reason for why he had to live abroad for years and go as far as the Canary Islands from England, which is really far. Not even get a little bit more specific about it. I mean, he himself is a doctor, so... Yeah, it's weird, but in any case... I feel like Dr. Lloyd left a sponge in somebody and (laughs) (laughs) had to not practice medicine in England for a while. When someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees and they pray to God that their wife doesn't miscarry or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now, you go ahead and read your Bible, Dennis, and you go to your church, and with any luck, you might win the annual raffle. But if you're looking for God, 
He was in operating room number two on November 17th, and he doesn't like to be second-guessed. You ask me if I have a God complex? Let me tell you something. I am God. So he is called in to assess the aliveness, I guess we could say, of a woman rescued from drowning by a local fisherman. That being, of course, the aforementioned Amy Durant. And so it turns out that Amy Durant is one of two frumpy, overweight English ladies spending the winter in the Canary Islands. Her employer, the aforementioned Miss Mary Barton, is the other one. But doesn't? So, but by the way, doesn't the doctor see the two uh-huh. women? He yeah. sees the two. He, wi- he sees them the day before the drowning. He remarks on the fact that they seem so spectacularly uninteresting, and they're such a type, both of them, that they're this the upstanding, respectable English woman who nothing ever happens to. And he contrasts them with this woman who's dancing, and she's not a dancer necessarily herself, but she's of Spanish extraction, and she's dancing, and she just seems so glamorous. And he yeah. And she's slender and lithe and yeah. you know these two english ladies are in tweed and right and um, he thinks basically are, like that woman's going to have such an exciting life and the nothing interesting is going to happen to these women and of course the spanish dancer lady ends up marrying a clerk and, and having has five kids, kids yeah. and then is incredibly overweight which she definitely comments on mm-hmm, of course because apparently <laughs> i mean this is becoming a runner in in christie but yes right And then these two ladies are the ones who are at the center of this mystery that he then tells. We should say he's called on to assess the state of this drowned woman, but not in a official capacity. He basically just happens to be out and about, right? When these women are dragged out of the water and they say, you know, they do the stereotypical, is there a doctor anywhere? And he happens to be right there. So he runs over. Yeah. And so Miss Mary Barton is apparently so traumatized by the incident that she glances back at him while he's trying to resuscitate Amy Durant. And with this like intensely anxious look, right? Uh, correct. And then she uh, very intensely goes back to the hotel while everybody else remains on the beach. Miss mm-hmm. Mary Barton does go back to England right. like a month later. She's missing her companion. Yeah. The title and, she's, would suggest. and she's very grief stricken and she doesn't say or do anything wrong. No. You know, and the doctor doesn't really have anything to critique about her behavior, but he just feels like something's off and he can sense that she senses that he thinks something is off. So it's kind of this weird, not like a cat and mouse game, but there's just a level of discomfort there. And she seems to be eager to leave, even though he's really not basing that on anything other than a sort of sixth well, sense about the whole situation. except for one thing, because he did hear from a passerby on the beach yes. that during the drowning... It looked like maybe one of the women was trying to force the other one under the water. But A, it was from some distance from the beach. Right. And B, drowners flail. It's a well-known fact about drowners. It's actually very common when you're trying to save a drowning person that they almost drown you and you just kind of have to give them up. And it could easily look as if you were trying to drown them because you're just tussling. Yeah, absolutely. So he, And there are other he, there are other witnesses that say, No, 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 it's as Mary Barton said. So there's right. just one witness that claims that. Right. Even weirder though, there are some attempts made to find Amy Durant's family, but everything keeps coming up with the dead end. Her address was a room that she had let that was sparsely furnished. Maybe she had a history in Australia. She has no apparent family. 
Yeah. So she's buried on the island. And then Mary Barton leaves. Yeah. And then we don't hear from Mary Barton again until our favorite place, Cornwall. She writes a suicide note, takes off her clothes, and walks into the ocean. Apparently taking off your clothes is something that people like to do in Cornwall. You know what people say of us? Yeah. If we behave like this, it will be true. Then let it be true. (laughs) Can't keep a shirt on in Cornwall, apparently. You know... It's very hot, Mm -hmm. you know, taking down that wheat. Southernmost tip of England, right? Lots of seafaring pirates. (laughs) So they're in Cornwall. She wanders off into the water to her demise, but the body is never found. And so the suicide note. But she wrote a note, right? She writes a suicide note. She writes a suicide note, implying that she can't live with what happened to the Canary Islands. When she says she can't live with it, just meaning that she feels really bad that she let that happen? It's ambiguous. Yeah. She writes, I tried to speak to the vicar yesterday to confess all, but was not allowed. She would not let me. I can make amends only one way, a life for a life, and my life must go the same way as hers did. I, too, must drown in the deep sea. I believed I was justified. I see now that that was not so. If I desire Amy's forgiveness, I must go to her. Let no one be blamed for my death. Mary Barton. Obviously, she had a guilty conscience. That's what's trying to be conveyed by this suicide note. But it's unclear whether that guilty conscience is coming from the fact that she just thought she could do more to save her friend, or did she actually kill her? Right. Ambiguous. Ambiguous. And nobody. Let's just remember that. And nobody. Yes. So we have a suicide note and we have clothes, which we have also seen in a story within this collection. Let us never forget the charming town of Rattle (laughs) and the bloodstained pavement. Also in Cornwall. Also in Cornwall. The bloodstained pavement in Rattle. We had clothes that were left by a cliffside and a presumed death. Did that turn out to be an actual death, Catherine? Oh, it did not. Hmm. Do we perhaps have a similar situation here? Oh, I think we might... Let's talk about some clues in the world as it actually is. So, clue number one is, uh, well, I guess it's that frumpy middle-aged English ladies are indistinguishable from one another, which is a super upsetting commentary on both the male gaze and, I don't know, the role of middle-aged ladies in society. (laughs) And there are a lot of major reasons why I think this is upsetting, but it is, unfortunately, our major clue. Yeah. Here's the deduction, folks. Mary's the rich one. Amy's her employee. So if we think that one of them killed the other one, why would you kill Amy, who's the... Poor one. Well, the companion. I mean, you wouldn't. Mary, the employer, has no motive to kill Amy, the employee, but Amy, the employee, has an obvious motive to kill Mary, the employer. Right. And so, funny story, if society just thinks that you're indistinguishable to begin with, makes it a lot easier to do a switcheroo. Yep. You might as well run with that. And Dolly Bantry actually has that idea when they're all brainstorming, which is always a favorite part of these stories because everyone says idiotic things except for Miss Marple. Right. But she actually doesn't say an idiotic thing. Dolly Bantry is right. It's just that she does not have the audacity that Miss Marple does to then take that one step further and say, no, that must be what happened. Amy Durant was Mary Barton and vice versa. The big clue, the thing that Miss Marple asks about 
is she asks Dr. Lloyd if Mary Barton gained weight after the death of Amy. It's the classic Miss Marple asking a question out of the blue that makes no sense and then gets an affirmative or knowing answer from the person who knows the solution to the mystery. Right. This actually makes a lot of sense, but it's also so, so far out in left field. But what Miss Marple is asking really is not that Mary Barton gained weight because Mary Barton wasn't Mary Barton. She was Amy. And so Amy was having to wear Mary Barton's clothes. Right. Which didn't fit her. Because it was specified when we were introduced to Amy Durant and Mary Barton that one of the women was slightly larger than normal and the other was slightly smaller or thinner than normal. Right. Miss Marple essentially makes the point, well, of course, Dr. Lloyd wouldn't have known that because he would have just seen a woman with her clothes ill-fitting and thought that she had gained weight, not that she was wearing wearing somebody else's clothes. I actually like this clue because I think that it's a little bit of a contemporary clue or a clue that you can tell us from 1930 because Amy Durant posing as Mary Barton had to wear Mary Barton's clothes because she had to play the role of a rich woman and the mm-hmm. employer. If this were set today, I don't think it would really matter because you can't tell necessarily what class people are by their clothes, but back then you could. Right. Although if you were going to really make that point, I would say that that would have been differentiated a little bit more at the beginning of the story because they're basically described as both wearing like tweed. Sure. They're seen together. So obviously, I mean, that goes that cuts against my point, because if their clothes are really of that different quality at that point, it would have been obvious, which was Mary Barton and which was Amy Durant. So they can't be that different, but it's just, it's not ridiculous that she would wear the other woman's clothes after the murder had happened because of that issue. But if you said that in present day, you'd be like, why bother? Just wear your own clothes. Who cares? You know? Right. The resolution here is also really weird (laughs) because then it turns out that Dr. Lloyd sometime later has traveled to Melbourne and shout out to Australia (laughs) shout out to Australia and apparently Amy is now living in Australia supporting like a family of five and I guess that they'd essentially not received financial support from their uptight English relative which is real Mary's family so Amy created this whole murder plot so that she could kill off Mary, then pretend to be Mary so that she could then give... So that she could then die, and then the money would go to her actual family. So Amy is an actual relative of Mary Barton. It's just that she pretended to be a stranger named Amy Durant. And then once she, posing as Mary Barton quote-unquote, died from that suicide, the money went to her surviving relatives, which were her family in Australia. Right. And then to make it even weirder, Dr. Lloyd comments that, well, she didn't look exactly in good health when I saw her, so, like, you know, what was I going to do about it anyway? And then she died six months later. (laughs) And he implies that the family, in that they were so impoverished, they actually had a real need for that money, and that the murder (laughs) plot was essentially justified. I was like, this is not a Jean Valjean stealing bread situation (laughs) here, people. Who am I? (laughs) 
she drowned a woman. <laughs> she drowned a woman in public And then faked a suicide. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it's really, really an odd ending. And also, who does Dr. Lloyd think he is? Papa Poirot going outside the law? I, I don't I know, know this Dr. Lloyd. By the way, this is fodder for your theory. Dr. Lloyd does not confine himself to the legal system as we know it. I want to know what he did to get shipped off to the Canary Islands. I am God. Oh, I do too. I feel like he I was... I think he's a serial killer. I mean, maybe he's in cahoots with Dark Marple. <laughs> This whole thing is just a is just a ruse. And they're going to murder everyone by the end. I'm upset. I'm obsessed with a sort it's of. It's going to be a slaughter at the dinner at the <laughs> at the pantry house. Yeah, it is such an odd little button. The idea that she escapes any sort of legal comeuppance and that that's okay. And it's only made okay by virtue of her poverty, which is just extremely weird. Who am I? I would like to note that this story also relies on the unbelievable coincidence of the narrator of this story happening upon the murderer in a completely different location (laughs) independently, which we also had from the bloodstained pavement when Joyce Lampriere just happened upon that murderous couple. Yeah, I guess once spotted in Cornwall. It's also really funny because uh, it takes Dr. Lloyd forever to come up with a story. And it's a little bit like, well, I'm pretty sure I'd remember this one. Maybe it's his story. He is Amy Durant. (laughs) Maybe. That's actually a secret about his time spent in the Canary Islands. There is also a runner with Miss Marple making one of her analogies to village life and a, and a Mrs. Trout, who seems to be another real gem of St. Mary Mead. Oh, I mean, St. Mary Mead does not have that many residents. How can so many of them be this foul? <laughs> so they're wondering if the murderer was as cheerful and unrepentant as she seemed to be about all of this to the very end. And, you know, Mrs. Bantry says, surely not, because I think she imagines that all Christians become repentant when they're on death's door and Miss Marple says I expect so Mrs. Trout was <laughs> <laughs> and Jane Hellier is of course completely creeped out as usual well she said it's very very thrilling I don't quite understand now who drowned which and how does this Mrs. Trout come into it <laughs> Miss Marple just shut her down she doesn't my dear said Miss Marple she was only, only a person not a very nice person in the village and we end the story on dum dum Jane Oh, said Jane, in the village. But nothing ever happens in a village, does it? She sighed. I'm sure I shouldn't have any brains at all if I lived in a village. End of story. That was, that was a little bit verging into Zoolander voice there. <laughs> What's the best part about living in New York? The diversity. You have really good-looking people and also very attractive people. What are three words to describe living in New York? Hustle, bustle, and. How do you feel about Brooklyn? I really hope they find a cure. How often do you take the subway? Hardly ever. Sandwiches are a gateway to cake. You know what? She might be a little bit Zoolander. She's totally a, fe- a female Zoolander. That's totally what she is. She and, and we should mention, because a friend of ours who we met at the Agatha Christie conference in Cambridge in June 
who is a professor in the great state of Florida, Michelle Kasmer, one of our friends and fellow Christie scholars, wrote us recently and I believe requested that we mention a topic that she had explored in some depth. So I want to give her credit for this. This is not coming from our brains. It is coming from Michelle's. But the idea that in Christie, it is interesting that we now have come across three blue-eyed Janes, and oh, how different are these three Janes? We, of course, have the two Janes from this story, Jane Hellier, Hellier, however you want to pronounce it, Jane Marple, and then a podcast favorite. My arch nemesis. Jane Wilkinson. And it is striking how different those three Janes really are, and I would put Miss Marple on one end and Jane Hellier on the other as complete nitwit dum-dum and sharp as attack, beating brain in a body box, Miss Marple. And then you have Jane Wilkinson, who falls somewhere on that spectrum. We all know Catherine will put her more toward Jane Hellier, and I would put her more toward Miss Marple, but she's somewhere in the middle there. And the differing depictions of them, they are interesting to compare and contrast, I think. So just want to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, that is is interesting. So long as we're on my constant topic of the women of Christie. This is a second story that has really problematic gender dynamics in it. So one, the relationship between these two women, which we don't actually get that much insight into, to be honest. Between Mary Uh, Barton and Amy Durant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't get that much insight into them. Although we do have to assume that Amy Durant has operated outside of some kind of desperation. Sure. There's that, but then... The fact is, the entire mystery hinges on this dismissal of what women look like. Yeah, the interchangeability of women who are less than beautiful. Absolutely. And the you only know, way to we, identify a woman is by her beauty, and if she's not beautiful, then she's faceless. Right, and I mean, we've talked about this a little bit with Miss Marple, that she's um, non-sexual, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how Miss Marble can kind of just skate because nobody pays attention to her because she's an old spinster. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these two women in this story end up in this situation because literally nobody who has seen them can tell them apart. Right. Even though they don't particularly look a lot. Look- no, they don't. Because, again, they are not sexual objects. Like the Spanish dancer is a sexual right. object. Right. And so she's noticed by all the men, and the, they could all identify her, whereas these two Tweety Frumpsters. And by the way, Amy Durant then travels the world on Mary Barton's passport. So every time anyone checks her passport, they're looking at a photo and not... Seeing her. Seeing her. So yeah. it's not just the people in, in confined to that you know that one Canary Island. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Right. And so it's a... It's, literally an issue of women not being seen. And I mean, that's that's really a running theme for Miss Marple, too. Mm-hmm. For a story that there's not, like, a lot in it, it's pretty slight. Mm-hmm. Sure. What is in there is worth chewing on. We've talked about this before, how there's an element of cynicism, and you could even say something not sour, because the, the Miss Marple stories are a lot of fun, and I obviously get a lot out of them, but there is perhaps a tinge of bitterness or a greater bitterness to these stories than certainly Tommy and Tuppence, that's for sure. Those are oh my you know, much more the happy-go-lucky thriller Agatha, as we've said. But even Poirot, which is not to say that Poirot is happy and bright, but 
the parallel with Poirot is that people don't necessarily see him because he's foreign, but that is a very different thing, especially because Poirot then plays with that constantly, and he can make himself more or less foreign, and he's very aware of it, and he's amused by it. The women depicted in these stories cannot change the fact that they are women and what they look like. Other than, I guess, if they dress up as fortune tellers, for example, in the course of committing murders. But unlike Poirot, it's not something that they can manipulate and negotiate for their ends. They're just stuck with it. And that, I think, tinges the stories slightly with something that feels a little bit bitter, despite these stories being just as entertaining as any other Christie story. So I think that's fair. I think not in every Miss Marple story or anything, but I think that's a fair point. That's the companion slash the resurrection of Amy Durant. I think if she was resurrected, we have put her firmly back in the ground. That we have done. <laughs> Let's focus for a moment on what we are tackling next time, because it is a novel and we're rather excited. Murder in Mesopotamia. So join us then. And in the meantime, we would love to hear from you. As always, you could email us at allaboutthedame at gmail.com or... Find us on Twitter at All About the Dame or find Catherine individually at Brobcat. We are on Facebook. The Facebook page is All About Agatha and we're on Instagram at All About Agatha. And please do rate and review us. We've been getting a couple of those in and we really so appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, just take a moment. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.